how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. I have a very special guest with me today. Once again, this is Ryan Staley. I have Chris Beal. Chris is the CEO of Connect and Sell. Now, Chris has got an interesting story. He's been participating in software startups as a founder at the at very early stage for almost the past 30 years. And he's been focused on consistently creating and taking to market simple products that can be used successfully from the first time that they are touched without taking a course or reading a manual. So I love that. His belief is the most powerful part of any software system is the human being that we inappropriately call the user. Uh, He's also the host of the podcast, The Market Dominance Guys. And at Connect and Sell, he's leading a company that's doing over $24 million in revenue. Chris, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on, man. Ryan, awesome to be here. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it. And I I loved our conversation. it's, It's so funny. Some of the best conversations I have with people are before we hit the record button. So it was awesome getting a chance to know you. And I'm really excited about what you're about to share. Now, before we get super deep on some of the strategies and tactics that you use to grow as companies, I would love to just have you share your superhero origin story to you, the listener, so that you can understand kind of where you come from, how you got to this point, and and just some of the trials and tribulations along the way. Yeah, I'll try to keep it short. I'm very old, so it's a long story by (laughs) nature, but... uh, (laughs) We'll, t- we'll take the decades and shove them together pretty quick. So, yeah, you know, I was just a kid raised out in the desert north of Scottsdale. I know people around, lots and lots of books, lots of animals. And uh, I-, I think I learned how to sell by figuring out uh, how to convince a-, a horse, you know, to let me put a bridle on it when I was all alone, seven years old. How are you going to do that, right? That's a sales job. And actually, I take, I, it's pretty serious. Uh, working with animals, you learn how to sell at a level that is universal, it's really about what we're all about, not just about what you know somebody's words are about, because you can't use words very well with them. But I ended up going to the physics and math route, and I wanted to be a teacher. And I had my old high school physics teacher told me, you got to go be an entrepreneur. And that was a weird thing for her to say. I was about to take her job, and she was going to retire. And so I said, nope, nope, you got to go be an entrepreneur. I had no idea what that meant. Like, go start companies. But I had actually had some companies doing some stuff. I just hadn't thought they were very real, right? That's like, that wasn't my career. And so I went into tech, software. Uh, Willie Sutton said he's Rob Banks because that's where the money is. And that's why I went into tech. I had a, you know, a wife and a young child on the way and needed to make a buck. And so I became a, a software developer. I was always pretty good at that stuff. But I was always dissatisfied. It's like, I didn't like the way the sales reps sold anything I built. I just didn't, it just bugged me. It's like, are you kidding me? Just ask for the deal. I know I've been a fuller brush man. I used to sell door to door. And I did too at one point. Yeah, I did too at one point. I'm a grizzled veteran from that perspective as well. It's a good, good background. You know, everybody I talk to who does big deals in sales tends to have sold door to door at some point in their life or some equivalent, which is interesting Mm. to me. Uh, so I was quite good at it. I didn't use any of the techniques I was taught. I made up my own. Uh, I visited everybody twice instead of once, and I never tried to sell to them on the first visit. I just offered to do some research into our catalog, and if I found something great for them, could I come back? 
And uh, I think I learned a lot from that process that sometimes, you know, it's impatience that gets us in sales. So anyway, one thing leads to another, you know, I'm building companies because I'm a very crappy employee, quite frankly. So I, you know, it's, it's easier to found a company than it is for, to work for somebody that you don't respect enough. I know that sounds horrible, but it's kind of <laughs> how it is. And so, you know, all that comes together and a few decades later, you know, started a bunch of companies. Uh, some of them have been more interesting than others. They've all, they've all taught me something. And now here I am at Connect and Sell. I've been here for more than 10 years. Became CEO back in, I think, 2014. I just joined this company five minutes after meeting the CEO. Uh, I, I didn't intend to take a job. I wasn't looking for a job. I just met this guy, Sean McLaren, and I listened to what he had to say. 6.30 in the morning up at the Rosewood Hotel where all the VCs hang out. And I said, Sean, you know, if this is real, this is real, right? And he says, yeah, it's like you actually have reinvented the business telephone. So you can push a button and talk to somebody on your list with no effort in a few minutes. And he said, well, yeah. I said, I'm in. He goes like, well, what if I'm not hiring? And I said, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a free country, Sean. I can work for whomever I want. And that's kind of how I came on board, right? Um, I, I thought that was a pretty good close. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And here we are 10 years later. Interesting company in that we provide something that people think is magic. And that makes it a little bit hard for them sometimes to try it because their reasoning is, like basically think of it this way. At the top of the funnel, everybody reasons like this. It's so hard to get people on the phone. Let's do something else. That's really what they're doing. Or if we're going to get people on the phone, we're going to talk to one person an hour, one target an hour. Mm-hmm. So here we have this thing that lets you talk to, on average this year, our customers talk to 7.91 people per hour. Nice. That's a lot more than one, and they're all targets. So the, and it's kind of like, then what? So it's it sounds like, oh, any idiot can sell that. But it's actually a little, it's trickier to sell 10x than it is to sell 2x. I love that. So that, that I mean... And it's funny, I think you came up. Yeah, I'm pretty positive. I had Justin Michael and Tony Hughes on for Tech Powered Sales uh, with their book. And they mentioned, you know, the benefits where you could have uh, SDR or BDR basically compress, you know, three months of work into a couple weeks because of leveraging a solution like yours. So I could definitely see the benefits. And you know what else I've seen as well with, salespeople and this this isn't just salespeople this is founders this is leaders i think because of the whole transition of how much people text there's salespeople that don't pick up the damn phone anymore because it, there's so many other ways which they could do it and at the end of the day they're less effective in a lot of cases what's your thoughts on that have you seen that as well yeah, there's some trending in that direction. It's kind of funny. Mostly it's just hard to get people on the phone. I mean, it takes 22.4 dials now on average to get somebody, you know, and, and it's frustrating and it takes time. And if your inclination uh, is to do something else, well, you're going to do something else because, you know, who wants to sit there dialing a phone, ending up in voicemail over and over? And after a while, you realize those voicemails, nobody listens to them. They're just another form of spam. And if I'm going to leave spam, I may as well leave spam cheaply. I'll use email or I'll send uh, invites on LinkedIn followed immediately by a pitch. That's the, the fad of 2021, which has now burned itself out, which is I'm going to send you a LinkedIn invite 
and then pitch you. Like, really? I, I, it's probably not going to be a great way to build trust. But, you know, everybody tries everything. The skill is actually there. It's kind of funny how people's ability to talk didn't really go away. That's a conceit of older, I'll say, manager types who go, these kids, they don't know how to talk. It's like, trust me, dude, when you were young, you didn't either. You know, learning how to have professional conversations with people that are casual and meaningful, where you're comfortable, you're confident, where you can get to the point without being an asshole, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's something we learn. We didn't learn it in high school. You're talking to your buddies and, you know, you, oh, we went from talking to people to texting people in high school. Trust me, our high school conversations were not the foundation for our future professional conversations. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I got thrown into the fire. So not only did I have the, when I started my sales career, I did the door to door. It was, uh, this is going to sound like I'm a hundred years old, but I'm not uh, yellow page advertising, right? Love just, it. Did that for Northwestern University out of, outside of Chicago and Evanston. And then my first job, this is before like the whole BDR, SDR title. So I was in, and I'm doing air quotes there, inside sales, right? And basically I had to sell training packages or event packages to people and I would dial like 250 dials a day and it was just smiling and dialing and then trying one call close them like a boiler room type sale so um so yeah I I to your point yeah it's not fun to, <laughs> to make 200 dials a day you know I just thought that that's what it was because of my first job out of school you know what I mean and but I remember too, like from a confidence perspective, even after that, you know, you build up in your mind, you're trying to get a hold of someone for months and then that person finally picks up. So, I mean, I could see, you know, sometimes confidence being an issue when you're working through that. So I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling here. So let, let's go back. So you started the company about 10 years ago, you mentioned, or yeah, about 10 years ago. I, I joined, I didn't start. Well, that's, I'm sorry, that's what I meant, joined. And didn't you join on the product side to start? I or? did. I was VP of products. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm an old software guy. Um, people kind of feel comfortable with me coming in to rebuild big systems. You know, there's some principles. and But you want somebody with a track record. It's not like, hey, I'm a programmer. You know, that's not what I did. I've, I've spent a lot of my career building really, really big software systems, especially the kind with humans in the loop. I have this obsession with people. Right? I studied lots of psychology. Last night, I got to go over to a friend's house and he's a, he's a professor of cognitive neuroscience. That's the kind of people I like to hang out with because they're getting into the real stuff, which is how do we work on the inside. And I just think it's amazing how technology and people can complement each other, but only if you really think about it carefully and design it carefully. Mm -hmm. It's not like that's why I don't like the idea of the user. Oh, they're the user. You know, user rhymes with dumb user, right? They're the user. They're dumb. Our system's built by engineers. We're smart. I think that's bullshit. I just think that's bullshit. And it's, and it's common. Whereas if you think about it, humans, we, we go slow and we get bored. And computers go fast and don't get bored. That sounds like kind of we could work together. But let's not cross the boundary of going and the machine's smarter than the person. The poor machine can never have context. And people are great at context, context and situational awareness, which is the essence of getting anything done. It's like, do this, do that never is great. It's always, 
this is the situation. Choose one of these things and figure out by a little exploration mm-hmm. whether you should do more of that. That's how we really work, and that's what machines don't do very well. So I love marrying people and machines, and in a and Connect and Sell was the best I've ever seen because it's got hundreds and hundreds of people inside of it navigating phone calls. So that's one cool marriage of people and machines. We have 600 people inside this system navigating phone calls right now as you and I are speaking. And all they're doing is the, the, the work you don't want to do as a salesperson. They're navigating IVR trees and, you know, dial by name directories. They're talking to the occasional gatekeeper and asking for a transfer. They're recognizing the difference between voicemail, greeting, and, and the actual person, but they don't talk to the person. So it's a very strict, like, you know, we have the machine and then we have the people working as part of the machine, so to speak, as an enhanced set of functionality that can do really clever things like talk to a gatekeeper. And then we have the sales rep and all they have to do is push a button, wait a little bit and talk to somebody. So if you divide stuff up just right, sometimes, you know, you get, you don't just get more, you get better. And the better I think that's interesting here is that when a sales rep doesn't have to wonder if they're going to talk to somebody, when you push that button, you don't know when you're going to talk. It could be a minute, three minutes, whatever, but you know that you're going to talk with somebody on your list and it puts you in a different mindset. Yeah. You're in a different place. And it's from that place you can be effective in sales. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. I mean, that would totally reconstruct the kind of the view of the day, right? If, if you're going to talk to eight people in an hour versus one. So let's talk about... so. You mentioned you started being the CEO in 2014, right? Around there. Um, what what was where were you at revenue wise at that point? Do you remember? Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to reconstruct. Probably a little bit above fifty percent of where we are now. We've, we've okay. you know grown about a hundred percent since then. So you've you've done that. So what was the the primary way that that you've grown? Because I have a lot of folks on that are. Founders, I should say, that are you know at that ten million, they're looking to make the next jump to twenty, thirty million. So I think it's pretty cool that you've taken the journey from you know that twelve million to twenty four million. How did you do it, and you know what was the primary way in which you you grew your revenue that much? Well, I I think we're a bad example, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I really do. I, the the way the right way to do it is to do what Jeffrey Moore referred to as crossing the chasm. And if you're into enterprise anything, that is, companies should use what you do, the best way, in my view, to cross the chasm is to treat large companies as markets of one because they're big and complex and figure out how to get in and then grow. Land and expand strategies in large companies is ideal. We've done a fair amount of that, by the way. We have a land and expand strategy. but we, in, And in a sense, we've crossed the chasm with certain companies. They're, we're not allowed to speak about them, though. This is this is the challenge with us. So you want to not only get in, you want it to be referenceable. And, and we're a little bit stuck at Connect. And so we provide competitive advantage. So founders love us because they can go figure out problem market fit, product market fit, and they can scale without hiring very many people. Wow, what a great combination, right? So that's great in that world. And they don't compete with each other very much because all these founders are in different businesses. And so those businesses aren't, you know, because you're a founder of, of even of a tech company, 
That doesn't mean you compete with the, every other tech company. You only compete narrowly within whatever that space is that you're in. So that's a world that we do pretty well in. And I would say in that market, we're pretty referenceable. That's part of it. But the main thing we've done is kind of brute force. We have connect and sell. So I have a small team talking to a lot of people. So my team talks to 78,000 VPs of sales a year, talks to, has conversations with 78,000 wow. VPs of sales a year. And so in a sense, you know, when you're faced with, I'll call it a, a, a chronic pre-chasm situation where you're selling competitive advantage, so nobody wants to talk about you. Now, we have a customer that fired a senior executive for mentioning Connect and Sell publicly. Come on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's because it's considered to be truly a weapon. I mean, we, we're not joking when we say this is a weapon of market dominance. It's a weapon of market dominance. Folks dominate markets by talking to everybody before their competitor talks to anybody. That's how fast it is. But that means, do you really want to talk to folks about it? I've got one customer that... <clears throat> they were at, um, they'd gotten to, to be doing pretty well. Um, they were kind of in the logistics and transportation industry in a funny way. And they were bought for $200 million. That's pretty good. Two and a half years later, using Connect and Sell to have ten, hundreds of thousands of conversations, they were sold for a, a billion. Those investors made $800 million in two and a half years on conversations. Do you think they want to tell everybody about it? <laughs> That's just like... No, that's not what you you want to go do it again and make another 800 million, right? You don't want to say, hey, Joe, why don't here's something great you can use to beat me up. It's like, look, if I'm the only guy, you know, it's the old West, right? I'm the first person who shows up with a six gun. I'm not passing them out to everybody on the street. I'm going to keep my little staff. Right? So that's, but most companies don't have this problem. They sell instead of competitive advantage, which sounds great to sell, but it's not. It's great like on a point basis. I can get the idea across to somebody, but it's not great in a go-to-market sense because it doesn't spread out fast. Mm -hmm. So solving a broken mission-critical business process, identifying a market for that, which is always a list. I mean, this is my advice to founders. Never have a market be a description. Always have it be a list. It's a list of actual people at companies that you want to get into because in each one, if you get in, it makes everybody on the, uh, else on the list cheaper to sell to and lower risk to sell to and faster to sell to. So then it goes faster and faster and faster in that market. Number two, my advice is never worry about the size of the market. Don't worry. Go find something contained and dominate it fast. And then from that fantastic position of being the dominant player in that market, find an adjacent market usually and go dominate that one. And three lead with trust, not with value. That's what we've done. And, and we've done a good job of that. We lead with trust. We don't call you up and go, hey, wow, it's connected to all these blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's just the human voice. And would you like to learn something and you know, attend a meeting? And then we let people try it. And I don't mean try it like a free trial. People call this a free trial. We call it a free trial on our website. It makes me want to shoot myself in the head every time I see that. <laughs> And, and the reason is it's, it's an experience. It's not a trial like, did it work? I mean, I, I once got to get in a Ferrari 455 and take it out on a racetrack. Do you think I was testing to see if a Ferrari 455 goes forward like an automobile? <laughs> no, we were finding out what's the experience like to take a, you know, a guy who's been driving for 
whatever, 50 something years and, and, and drive on a race course, which is different with the intent to go fast in a car that goes fast with an instructor next to him yelling at him saying, break hard, break hard. So that's what we do is we just let people try it. And sometimes they make millions of dollars. So Tony Safoyan on his Cloud and Clear podcast, I was a guest on it. I think it's episode 54 at minute 20. I asked him, Tony, didn't you guys actually like build some pipeline, make some money during your test, your connect and sell test drive? And his VP, Billy Franz, laughs and he says, Chris, we made tens of millions of dollars of pipeline that day in those three hours. So it's like a lottery ticket. Sometimes, you know, people get lucky and, but sometimes they just experience tons of conversations and go, well, hey, we're not that great. Maybe we need to get better. And that's, that's why we do this flight school thing. It's like, okay, you want to get better? We'll teach you to get better. It's not our main line of business, but we hate amplifying suck. <laughs> yeah. Nobody, I like that. You don't want to amplify suck. That's, that's pretty cool. So, so then flight school, is that, that's more the, like, the next step of working in conjunction with them, a lot more hands-on besides just providing the, the service, or what is that involved with? Yeah, exactly. Flight school is all about, hey, we know it's about the reps, the list, and the message. So let's start with the message and get it right. Mm-hmm. And we, we know a lot about the psychology of a cold call. We know when you ambush somebody, they're afraid of you. We know what to do with that. There's a, kind of an FBI vetted technique. In seven seconds, you can take that fear and you can turn it into trust. Unfortunately, you only have seven seconds to do it. After that, you're screwed. So what is it, <laughs> so, man? What, so what? Just, in that seven seconds, what do you got to do to, to change to shift to trust? Well, you've got to show that other person that you see the world through their eyes. So Chris Voss taught me this at a dinner one night. I asked him that very question. First, how long do we have? He says, seven seconds. I joked with him. I said, really, our research says eight seconds. He says, your research is wrong. It's seven <laughs> seconds. <laughs> okay, got it. So what do, I asked your question exactly the same words that you asked. Nice. What, what do we have to do in those seven seconds, right? And he says, oh, that's easy. All we have to do is show the other person we see the world through their eyes. We call it tactical empathy. And then we need to demonstrate to them that we're competent to solve a problem they have right now. And I, I asked him, I said, well, isn't the problem they have right now me? I'm the problem. And he says, bingo. And that's actually the key to the cold call is you're talking to somebody, you've ambushed them, you've scared them. Your emotions are not the issue. Their emotions are the issue. It's the hardest part about sales is it's not about you. It's always about them. Get, get over yourself, right? So your emotions, who cares? Their emotion is fear because you're an invisible stranger. Your fear is the fear of being the invisible stranger that they're afraid of, right? Not a good idea to go around making people afraid because they might react. So what do you do with that? Well, if you say that you're a bad thing, that's a good thing. So you say you're a bad thing and you say it really fast and you say it really flat. Ryan, I know I'm an interruption. Do I hammer the word no? Now you see the world through my eyes. I see the world through your eyes. Got it? I get it. I'm a bad thing. Right. And then I switch my voice to a playful and curious voice. That's an FBI term for a certain kind of voice, playful, curious. And I, I demonstrate to you that I'm competent to solve the problem you have, which is me. Can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I called? And you get it. It's like, oh, the deal is if I listen to this joker for 27 seconds, 
I get to leave with my self-image intact, which is all I'm looking for right now. <laughs> so I, we all know I've got 27 seconds. I answered the damn phone, right? Yep. yep. This guy's going to let me go. And he's going to let me go without a fight. That's what he says. And now he's armed me to say, hey, I thought you gave me 27 seconds. Boom, gone, right? So you will almost always get a chuckle and a move forward. Sometimes you get, ah, you got 20 seconds. Who's going to say, no, I don't have 27 seconds, using up four of those seconds to say they don't have the 27 when they answer right. the phone? Yeah. kind of ridiculous. No, I like that. That's sweet. That's cool. Um, because it gives them an out, too, an easy out, right, at the end. So, like, all right, time's up, you know? Um, okay, so we're just we're just about up on time, Chris, and this has been delightful. So I'm going to ask you a couple of fast-fire questions, just quick reactions from you in terms of, what you're thinking, okay? So who's the founder or CEO that you're most impressed with today? Uh, it's Elon Musk. The dude does stuff the rest of us think is impossible. When people make fun of him, he goes and does another one. <laughs> All right, great answer. Uh, what's, what's your favorite book that you've read over the last couple of years? Well, I reread uh, Richard Feynman's original autobiography. He was a Nobel Prize winning uh, physicist. And it's entitled, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. And I think that there's more in there for us to learn about who we can be and how we can be with other people than anything else I've ever read. Okay, I love that. It's one I haven't heard of, so I'm going to have to check that out. And then what advice would you give to your 21-year-old your self, knowing what you know now about business and life? Uh, my advice would have been, uh, frankly, it's interesting because I was... I was just about to get married. I wouldn't say not get married. That was a that was a good thing. <laughs> um, you know, just plunge in. You you don't really have that many obligations. Just start a company, Chris. Just do it. Just you know, you got the brains for it. You got the brass. Just go do it. Just make it happen instead of waiting. Yeah. How long did you wait the first time? I don't think I started my first serious company until I was thirty one or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went to work for NCR and then I went off to uh, Martin Marietta. We were making like rockets and big government projects. And I, I started my own department, which was interesting, but it was not quite the same as starting your own company because it was kind of step by step. So I did my own department and then I became the curriculum developer for Bell Labs for something new. And then I said, screw it. And I jumped into a little company with another guy. Excellent, man. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I loved your insight. I love the uh, the dialogue at the end with the exact script. So we'll, I'm sure we'll 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 make a clip specifically on that. Have some of that in the show notes. So, uh, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about Connect and Sell? They want to check it out or even even look for it in, in deploying it in their company. Well, if somebody wants to try it, we do this free test drive. It's at our, on our website. There's a little form you fill out. You'll probably get a free test drive. And who knows, maybe you make millions of bucks doing it. So, you know, it's live fire. It's your list, your people. We do them bigger. We do them small. So I don't care. It's, it's all fun. And uh, so that's the best way to learn. Uh, the Market Dominance Guys podcast, I think, is the most interesting way to figure out what we're doing. I'd start toward the end where the great guests show up. <laughs> so listening to people like Cheryl Turner and Henry Wojdala and, and uh, Matt McCorkle over at Kaiser Compressors, 
It'll open your mind to the possibility of using human conversations to dominate markets. I, I, the more I've been doing this, the more I'm convinced that there's a lot of chaff out there. And if you want to learn from me, you know, learn from the people that I'm working with. And that's, that's these brilliant podcast guests. Excellent, man. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And I'll see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.